0: Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? How a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. The point is there are many ideas that are idealistic and they sound good but it's it's not it's not possible to practice them. And the question is for us is this what we're hearing in the book of Ephesians? Is the book of Ephesians and everything Paul's saying here is it is it good in theory but impossible to practice? Now Ephesians contains some of the most majestic and grand theological statements about who God is and who we are in Christ. And you might be tempted to think, "Wow, that is an amazing truth. Wow, that is that is remarkable. But I don't actually, it won't change me. It can't change me. I'm for whatever reason, it, it just doesn't affect me. And I want you to know, I want you to hear very clearly that this is not the case. Ephesians and what Paul says in, in this letter is not good in theory, but impossible to practice. In fact, it is a, every element of, of what Paul has written in this letter has a real-world, ultra-practical implication and an application into our lives so that, so that you uh, and me and, and we together can be stronger together. We see this, uh, the passage that was just read for us. We see this by how Paul concludes this letter. We see him expressing his genuine pastoral heart. You see, he's not just concerned about rich teaching and accurate truth. He's just as concerned about the people who are receiving this letter. He wants them to know that it's him who is expressing it. He wants them to be encouraged. You see, as he writes, he, he, he sends someone to express his love for them so that they would know how he is, know how we are. He's speaking about a group of people with him and that they would be encouraged. You see, Paul is being intentionally relational in this letter with grand theological truths. He wants them to receive his message, make no mistake. He wants them to understand what he's saying but it's also important how they receive it. And he expects them to change as a result of it. He expects them to, to that something will happen in them after they've received this. I think it's worthwhile to, to pause and ponder that for a moment. That Paul has these two concerns. He has a concern for both right thinking about God and right practice. Now, right thinking about God is very important. Um, I, I don't think I'm saying something new here. It's, it's really important. We call this uh, theology and doctrine. And it's really important that we practice good theological thinking and reflection. And we do it with great care because when we're, when we're doing that, we're thinking about and we're reflecting on who God is. God, he's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. That's the God that we ponder when we think about uh, theology and doctrine. Um, Anselm, he's the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, around 1033 to 1109, he famously made an argument for the existence of God, and he said that God is a being in which nothing greater can be conceived. Let me say that again. God is a being, the being, of which nothing greater can be conceived it's our ultimate thought if you can if you can if you think about your ultimate thought of the ultimate good and perfection and if you can think of something a little more perfect than that then that's God or, or you know, wherever you go like the next step you take that's God that's who God is and therefore God is real but our thoughts about God are important and and God is not just our ultimate thought, it's not just a a theoretical thing that we have in our mind. The God of the Bible has revealed himself to us in the scriptures and in Christ and in the history of his interaction with his people. Therefore, if we want to think about and understand God, we have to think about the way that he's revealed himself. Anything less would be uh, creating God in our own image. Our, our thoughts about God, right theology, right doctrine, are important because it informs and it transforms the way that we think about our world. If he made this world and he sustains it, then knowing God helps us to understand the world better. There's a classic book um, called Knowing God by an author and a pastor, J.I. Packer. He describes not knowing God, not knowing about God, like being dropped in a foreign land and uh, dropped in a foreign land and culture with as important as that is it's only one side of the biblical coin there's another side the other side is action what we do with that knowledge how we act on it how we live it out and paul is very clear that what we believe what we believe impacts how we live and how how we live what we do reveals what we believe and that's why paul is ending this letter in this way in this final exp- uh, section of Ephesians, he's expressing his heart and, and he hopes that everything that he's written here will lead to real practical uh, change and transformation in the lives of the people that he's writing to. He sends this trusted messenger, his belo- this beloved brother, Tychicus, to number one, uh, in, in, in ancient times, you send a messenger to make sure the message doesn't get lost, so that's important. But more importantly, so that they know that this letter is from him. It comes from his heart. So if you've been following with us uh, here at chapel uh, through Ephesians, we started uh, studying the book of Ephesians in September of 2020. And hopefully it's been clear as we've worked through uh, all the different chapters, all the different verses, that what we believe impacts how we live and what we do reveals what we believe. And that's throughout the letter and throughout the series that we've, we've done through Ephesians. And we're not gonna go through every single verse and every single passage or else we'd be here for quite a long time in what feels like a, a bit of a cold room, but um, we're gonna do a flyby of all the series uh, that we've done through in Ephesians. So we'll start off first with um, Ephesians chapter one. September 2020, we went through this series, Unashamed. Now, this series was about getting out of your not good enough shame and getting into Jesus. You see, the world, the flesh, and the devil, this unholy trinity will bombard us with shame. They'll keep telling us, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You don't amount to anything. You know what? It's not its not wrong. It's actually true. We are not good enough. We are not worthy. But the subtle lie and the deception that the enemy wants to slip in there is that he wants us to believe that that is our ultimate reality. That's the ultimate truth, and it ends there. You're not good enough. But there's a, there's a bigger truth. There's a capital T truth that overshadows that and the reality of our shame. Look in Ephesians chapter one. It's gonna show up, there's a bunch of highlights in there. We are saints, we are holy ones. Verse one, we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen, we are predestined in love, we are adopted, we're redeemed, we're sealed and we're guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. We are treasured and we are called his body the church That's who you are in Christ. That's the real truth. And notice how we receive all these qualities. Did you did you work at it? Did you did you did you earn it? No, it's all from Jesus, all from being in Christ. What Christ has to his merit, his righteousness, he gives to us and he imputes that into us so that that we stand with his record on our on our on our record and that's wonderfully freeing isn't it that's wonderfully freeing because number one no one can undermine what Christ has done right no one can challenge what he has accomplished and therefore we can stand fully unashamed in Christ before God so a question as we reflect on that are you are you feeling like you're stuck in shame are you hearing more more loudly the the lies of the enemy? Do you know who you are in Christ? Are you living boldly in Christ, unashamed and free of deceptive accusations? And how can can you? How can we remind ourselves of our new identity from being united to Christ? We went from uh, unashamed to Hope embodied—a study through Ephesians chapter two and three—and um, this focused on what it means to be the embodiment of hope as the Church of Christ. This is this is us together. So, so in Paul, in, sorry, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul describes what God has done as individuals, what He has done in our hearts, what He has done for us individually. And now, in chapter two, we start hearing the plural "you" being addressed, the "y'all." you all. This is what God has done for us together, sitting here in this church, um, watching from at home and and joining together. Wherever you are, whenever you are, listening together, if you are in Christ, this concerns all of us. And he tells us that together we are the church, God's living temple, chapter 2, verse 21. We are richly diverse and beautifully united so that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but our fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Chapter 2, verse 19. So the church embodies, it makes real and lives out what it means to be this community of hope. This community of hope that's rooted and grounded in love. It's living out the radical unity and making known the manifold wisdom of God to who? Do we make known the manifold go- wisdom of God to each other? Probably, but actually it says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we'll touch upon this point a little, a little bit later. Church, we are not gathered here because we like each other. Although, I, I hope you do like each other. And, and uh, if you don't know each other, you get to like each other. But that's not the reason we are gathered together. We are united together because of Christ's love for us his love unites us and it's a love that surpasses knowledge so that what might appear a barrier in in the outside world to to people loving each other and that's whether that's race whether that's politics whether that's gender whether that's economics all those things they're surpassed in loving unity and commitment to one another because of what Christ has done for us. You see church this Radical love. It's not an optional add-on. It's not a nice to have if you're a Christian. This is the very core of our being, and this is, this is what we do. Is that, is that easy? Gosh, no. It's not easy at all. It's, it's really challenging. It's really difficult. I confess, sometimes I look in the mirror and I have a hard time loving myself. And a lot of people do how difficult it is to love another person, to love beyond barriers. Uh, It's even hard to, to love those that you like sometimes. It's insanely difficult to love beyond barriers. But God, but God, we are able to do this. Paul writes this beautiful, beautiful benediction in chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, that is the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. God gives us the power to live that way. It is hard, he knows it's hard, but we need God's power in order to live this way. And if we're going to be living out this radical, loving unity, I think we need to regularly ask ourselves, to to check ourselves. In our everyday practice, when was the last time I had a loving interaction with someone who's different from me? What's stopping me from doing that? as uh, Howard mentioned earlier today for the first time in nearly two years we get to get an opportunity to have lunch together uh, in the back hall over there and you know a bonus no charge today we're just gonna enjoy lunch together why don't if if you're ready to take this step if you're ready to do this why not why not have lunch with with someone uh, that you wouldn't normally sit with that you wouldn't uh, just get to know someone else I know uh, now it won't work if everybody does that. Everybody just be confused. But just you know, in your in a small group, just sit with someone else that normally you wouldn't normally have lunch with, and enjoy that time and enjoy being the church, that radical loving unity together. Now, following this series, we went to a series called Walk in Love, that was that started in May of this year, and it's based on Ephesians chapter four to six, and it's about living out the love of God with every step that we take. Every step, this series is is all about walking. It's all about how we live our lives, day by day, step by step. And this is an important point. Walking is very mundane in a way. You just step by step, step by step. It's not the jumping, it's not the sprinting, but there's something that characterizes our walking that Paul is urging us to do. We are urged to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling we received. Our walking is meant to be characterized by humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain unity. It's a walking that builds up the body of Christ, 4 verse 16. It's putting off our old self and our old patterns of behavior and putting on a new self a new pattern of behavior, and it transforms the way that we speak, it transforms the way that we work, it transforms the way that we disagree, it transforms the way that we get angry. Walking in love also means that our relationships are transformed, it transforms the relationships between children and parents, uh, husbands and wives, in the workplace, why? Because Christ's love for us is so powerfully transforming that he loved us and he gave himself up for us, that it changes us from the inside. It's a love that transforms. I wanna tell you, if you have trusted in God for your salvation, if you have trusted in Jesus, God has accomplished a work in you. It's done, that transforms you individually. It also transforms the way that we relate to one another in Christ's body, and it transforms the way that you relate to the world. That's what walking in love means. It means every area of your life is transformed by the love of Christ. He, in this section of Ephesians, Paul helps us to see what walking in love looks like. And it can be helpful to think about then, what's the opposite? What doesn't walking in love look like? Um, what's the opposite of humility? If you're not walking in love, humility, you're walking in pride. If it's not gentleness, it's harshness. If it's not patience, it's impatience. If it's not bearing with one another, it's forsaking one another. If it's not united together, it's alone. Question is, how, how are you walking? If you, you don't have to tell anyone. If you picture yourself on, that, on those spectrums, how are you walking? How are you walking? We need to be careful though. Let's not fall into the trap. Let's not fall into the temptation that, oh, I'm I'm way over there on on pride. I just need to work harder. I just need to try harder to be better and be more humble. Well, actually, if you really try to be humble, you're actually sort of making yourself more proud in a way. It doesn't work like that. How do we walk in, how do we actually walk in love? The answer is turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus, trust in him, rest in what he has done until you can joyfully delight in Christ. Listen to the way, some of the ways that the enemy deceives us and, 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 and listen to what Christ says. Pride says, I've worked hard, others aren't contributing, I deserve recognition. Christ says to us, my work, my righteousness, I give to you freely by grace. As the Father loves me, so does he love you. Harshness says, when things go wrong, I'm rightfully angry with myself, with others, and God, because I'm generally a good person. Jesus says, I've taken on all your wrongs. On myself, I am gentle and lowly, and you can be too, because my love doesn't depend on your goodness. Impatience says, I'm anxious because I'm losing control. I'm losing control of the situation. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Forsaking one another, you might say, I can't help others. I have too much going on in my own life. And Jesus says, I came so that you could have life. Life to the full. My kindness and patience with you is meant to lead you to repentance. If you're constantly alone, you might say, I can't trust or depend on anyone else. And Jesus says, I love each one of you. And grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of my gift. Everyone, each person is important. No one is overlooked. You see, the more lovingly we walk, the more encouraging we are to each other. And the more, strong, the more strongly we proclaim the good news of Jesus together. And that's the point. We are in this, this, this journey together. Which leads us to the last section of Ephesians. We are stronger together. Remember that, uh, what Paul said about the manifold wisdom of God being made known to the, through the church. It's being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And that's one of the themes we've been exploring lately um, in this series, Stronger Together. We know that through this, Satan is real. He's not just some idea. There are real spiritual forces of evil, an unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the enemy is terrified of the body of Christ standing strong together and he would like nothing better than to undermine and to deceive and subvert us, individually and corporally, so that we lose our footing. But thanks be to God, we do not stand alone. We have each other, but we also do not stand exposed. We have been given the full armor of God the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you want to know more about how each one of these things can apply to to where you are and how you can apply that, I I encourage you to look back at the previous sermons to, to see that. But notice something. All of this armor, all of this armor is provided for us. We didn't have to to purchase it, we didn't have to forge it ourselves, we didn't have to earn it, and the full armor, the full armor is given us so that we can take our stand in the strength of God's might. What might is that? What might, what power do we stand in? Paul says it very clearly in chapter one, verse 20. It's the very might that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at God's right hand. We have access to resurrection power. We have access to the same might that raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of God. But we need to put on the armor. We need to equip the armor that we're given. Paul says, put on, take up, fasten on, take up. Do these things. Have you... Then, equipped the armor that's fully available to you. Are some pieces better used than others? Have you neglected some pieces of armor? Which piece of armor do you need to learn to use better? I know we all do. We all need to learn something better. And how can we do this together? How can we encourage one another to do that? You see, this letter of Ephesians, it's, 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 it's for us. It's very practical. It's intended to remind us of the powerful work Christ has done in us individually and together. And it's to encourage us to stand firm together against the, f- in the face of attacks of the, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are so you can stand unashamed. Love together as a church, as the body of Christ, and in so doing, Proclaim this new kingdom coming. Walk in love by walking in Christ. And suit up. Put on the armor. You see, we're, we're stronger together than, than we are apart. We're stronger when we are united in peace. And Paul starts this letter with a blessing of peace. And he ends it with the sa- in the same way. Verse 23 in our passage today. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. You see, the the key to maintain peace in the body is mutual love. Mutual love for one another. And mutual love rests on our common faith in Christ. And the source of all that is the free grace that we've received in Christ Jesus. There's that really remarkable phrase that Paul ends this letter in. Love incorruptible. It's a powerful, powerful statement, powerful thought. And it can be read, if you read sort of plainly how Paul's uh, writing it, he says, this is a blessing for those of you who love God with an uncorruptible, undying love. And it is, it is that. But actually, our love for God And for each other is only made possible because of his incorruptible love for us. I love how um, pastor and uh, author of the book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, puts it. And we can um, end on this reflection. He writes, we love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus' love through forsakenness. we love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that we can rest in your love, in Christ's love for us. Thank you that you love us with an incorruptible, undying love. Thank you for your word, which you have loved us by by sharing with us, that you've revealed yourself through your word in in this book of Ephesians. Lord, we pray pray that we we are continually transformed, we are made new, we are sanctified as we reflect on these truths as we think upon them, that we are transformed individually and together as a church. Lord, we pray that we are a church that walks in love, that we are a church that embodies hope, that proclaims the coming kingdom of God in the way that we live and the way that we act. Lord, make it so in our lives.